Hello, everyone. Just a very quick one from me before you enjoy this week's episode. I will be at the Recruitment Agency Expo in London for both days. Both of our podcast partners will be there, Vincherry and Sourcebreaker. I wanted to make sure that if you are going, go to their stand, check out what they have on offer. You would be absolutely silly not to. I'll see some of you there. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Matt Cox, who is the CEO and founder of Hale International. Hale International are a niche staffing firm that solely specialize in supplying both contract and permanent workday professionals to organizations across the United States. This is Matt's second recruitment business, as he started his first when he was 24, when he secured VC investment in 2015 to start Graham Matthews. In four years, they grew this to 6 million annual revenues before Matt exited the business to start Hell International. Matt started his recruitment career in 2011, where he quickly went from being a consultant to associate director within four years before starting his very first recruitment company. Over the last two and a half years, Matt has been dedicated to growing Hell International, who today now have 10 within the business, and they've continued to have a record year in 2021. Matt has huge plans to take Hell International to be the number one workday talent provider globally. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. How are you doing? How are you right? I'm really good. I'm, um, I'm really excited to unpack this journey of yours. So where where we always like to start is probably a question that you thought a lot about when hiring for your own businesses, your teams. But I'd love to just hear your perspective on like what characteristics and traits do you believe really make up a highly successful recruitment consultant in in today's market, in in the in the modern uh, market? Do you think the modern day recruitment consultant? Right. Um, yeah. I think you've got to be, if you had no experience looking to get into the industry, I think you've got to be pretty thick skinned. Uh, like recruitment is like a, a roller coaster. So you're going to yeah. ride a lot of highs, a lot of lows. You know, one week you can be sort of thinking you're the best at, best in the business. Then the next week you <laughs> think, why, why am I doing this? You know, so you've got to be pretty thick skinned. You've got to be resilient, you know, to deal with all of that. you just got to be really driven and like speaking to people, making connections. You know, you've got to have a bit of a personality that, People are gonna want to buy into you, want to connect with you, and gonna listen to what you're saying. You know. Mm, okay, love that. So there's a lot that we can go into here, right? So I guess just for people listening, what we're definitely gonna dig into today is we're gonna touch on how you sort of climb the ranks quite quickly. A lot of people listen to this podcast will want to go on that route that you went to, where you went from consultant to head of to associate director, and then obviously we'll talk about your. Um, obviously journey with getting investment and growing Graham Matthews, but we'll then really focus on Hell International in the last two and a half years, which is, I think what a lot of people will be interested in is that that's a, a business that you're building that only serves the American market. Yeah. Um, and I know we're going to dig into like how you went about that, what you've learned, but I guess just to rewind this, like how obviously I saw that you um, went to university, like, is there a story behind how you got into recruitment, Matt? Like how, how did this begin for you, mate? Yeah, a bit of a funny one, really. So I went to uni purely because 
I came out of sixth form and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought, right, I'll yeah. go to uni. Always been interested in business. So did a business degree, came out of there and um, was going there to pick up my transcripts and bunch, bumped into someone on my course. And he, uh, I said, what are you doing now? What, what job are you going to do? I still don't know what I want to do. And he said, well, a mate of mine's in recruitment. He's earned over 100k a year and he only graduated last year. So I'm sitting there thinking, Classic. really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I thought, right, I'll have a look into that and literally looked into it. Probably, to be honest, you got sold the dream a bit. And then yeah. the social site was there. It matched my aspirations in terms of financial earnings. And sort of that that was it from there. The rest is history. So you, you mentioned there that you was, you've always been interested in business. How come? Like, have you got, have your parents always had their own business? Or I don't know. Where, where'd that come from out of interest? No, they haven't really. I'm sort of always been quite entrepreneurial. Like when I was younger, like my teens, I set up like a gardening business, just going around knocking on people's really? doors, cutting the grass and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I don't know, I've always just wanted to, to work for myself and have a business. I didn't know, have a clue what in. I just knew that I wanted to. And I remember, I still remember it now, my first day when I got into recruitment, someone did a 9K deal and I sat there yeah. and I thought, I'm going to do this on my own one day. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Where, where did that feeling. come from then, Matt? Where did that come from? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious because I had similar things. Really, I mean, I did all different different things. Like, I've been, I was selling things online, and but I don't know where where did that come from? Like, if your parents didn't have their own business, you didn't see it there. I really don't know. Um, I've always just wanted to live a certain type of lifestyle and be successful, and just sort of you know take things my way in effect I suppose yeah it's, mm. I, I, it's just something inside of me I, I've just always been there just that burning yeah. desire fair enough yeah interesting so what would be good just to to get your thoughts on then so as you said clearly you're clearly someone that have big aspirations you're driven you, you want the best for yourself I guess a lot of people listen to this podcast will be listening to this because they want to bet themselves they want to get the promotions they might want to be the top biller in their company they might want to be a director in their company at some point as you know obviously recruitment is competitive externally as well as it is internally so i guess what i'd be keen to hear from you is in hindsight looking back at your journey at uh, the two brands that you initially worked for like why do you think Matt Cox was the guy that was able to get the head of contract position over other people. Why was you the person that was able to land the, the AD position? What what did you do differently, do you think, that that enabled you to get those promotions that likely other people were going for as well? I think it was just a case of I got an opportunity when I worked at Westbourne Partners to set up their IT into NHS division. And I okay. learned so much from that company and the guys there. Um, so I'm really grateful to that. And um I think that setting up that division taught me a lot and made me realise like every company I've worked at, even when I first started in recruitment, I've always had to set up my own division and my own desk from day one because right. just the way that they, they set it up essentially. So having that experience and learning going through that has sort of helped me propel to get where I am and know that I can set up sort of you know, a business in effect. But in order to get the promotions and get ahead, you've really just got to outwork people in in the in the business so you know if you're not hitting the numbers that you're hitting and you want to get there i do strongly believe that you know hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard like i'd always be the first one in you know nine times out of ten always be the last person out of the office just because you know i wanted it more like i you know the the difference i found was that i would do whatever it took to earn a certain amount of money or get to a certain position where you know other people would wouldn't do that you know yeah okay 
So let's just go a bit granular here, if, if it's okay, Matt. And, and we, we'll probably touch on this again with like how you approach Hero International. But if we think about this year, I was just telling you before we started, like so many recruitment companies are hiring to, to keep up with their, their clients' demands. Like it's crazy. So, so from what from what I can see, that like I would love to know the like amount of entry level talent that's entering the recruitment industry this year compared to maybe two three years ago, because I do think that it's it's going to be a huge number. So, a lot of these people will likely be going on that journey of like building a patch or building yeah. a desk or building expertise. You get what I mean? So, so it'd be good just to to go a bit granular here. And like you said that, yeah, that experience of building your desk, doing that yourself, as, as you learned a lot and it really helped. When I say to you, like, what are the fundamentals of getting that right? Like what comes up for you? Like if I'm listening to this right now and I'm on that journey of building out my own market, building out my own desk, what, what are the fundamentals of doing that right and doing it well and being successful, do you think? The fundamentals, if you're starting out, say building a new patch is you've got to get to know the best candidates within it. So... I'm yeah. a contract guy, like I've been contract recruiting my whole career, obviously yeah, since I've had businesses I do a bit of perm, but myself always been contract. So if we look at it from that side, the first thing you've got to do is, you know, get to know all the top candidates in, in the market. So, you know, by doing that you're not gonna to get to know the companies that uh, people are working for, so you can strip their C V. So say you get a say you approach it from day one, you're gonna you wanna find out who the who the companies are that you can actually recruit for. If you go onto a candidate in your space's CV, strip that so you get the five, one, two, three, four, five companies off it. You know those companies hire what you're about to recruit for. Before you know it, you've done 10 CVs, you've got 50 companies, right? So they, they can now become your target companies. You can speak to these candidates, get to find out who the hiring managers are in each of those companies that they've worked at. There you go. Now you've got 50 hiring managers that hire, say, contractors in your area that you recruit for. And by getting, keep going, speaking to candidates, identifying who the best ones are, my advice would be to get like the best ones in each area. Like my market now, Workday, is split up into different areas. Like it's nine, the HR side is based upon nine modules. So we would know the top people that recruit, that specialize in each module. Sure. So that as soon as okay. a position comes up, you can be very reactive and just go bang. You know, here, here's a CV. I know the so, best people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need to know who the best people are. So that as soon as a position comes live, you haven't even got a source for it. You've just got them there, candidate straight over, move on to the next one. So you're setting up a patch. You've got to know the best candidates are, and you've got to know who the the best who your clients are, and you've got to know what projects are going on in the within your space pretty quickly. So if you can get on to find out what projects are going on, you can get it, get in on one of those, you're gonna get a lot of contractors in there. So where, I've been having to speak to quite a few recruitment owners around, like where do you see people typically go wrong? Because what, what, you're, what you're saying there is like, you have to get really good at asking questions, listening, like getting really good quality information, then take action on that information. Like where have you typically seen people go wrong when it comes to like, like getting the information that they need out of interest. I don't know if anything comes up for you there because I, I do speak to a lot of people who basically like they see their sort of less experienced people like just not have that commercial awareness. Like when I'm speaking to Matt, the contractor, I just have my candidate hat on and like I just get really drilled down on that and I might miss out an opportunity or like ask a further question that could then lead to maybe hiring managers. Do, do you get what I mean? Do, where, where do people typically go wrong there, do you think? If you're not getting the information out of every call, like every call you should come off with something, whether it's market knowledge, whether it's a lead, whether it's a name of a hiring manager, whether it's a referral, 
uh, of yeah. another candidate. If you can get all of those things, you could market in your desk and go, grow pretty quick, quickly because as soon as you get off the call, you've got another candidate to call because he's just recommended you his mate or his colleague in another firm that is good at what they do. People only recommend yeah. good people, right? They're going to put their name to it. You're going to get a lead. You've got something you can chase up in the market. You've got a hiring manager's name. You've got a manager there that you can spec a CV into or that you can call and try and get in into that business. Or if you've got some market knowledge about, you know, a big project about to kick off or something you know interesting about to happen that you can talk about with other people, you're going to get a lot more engagement there. So I think if you're just speaking to candidates and just getting, you're coming off the call with nothing, which at the beginning of your career you do, because it's hard to remember to get all of that information at once. <laughs> all the different right? things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it's just going to become like a busy fall. So you can become quite a busy fall in recruitment. So you don't just want to get market knowledge because that's not going to get you where you need to go. You know, this, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not getting referrals, leads, new managers' names and stuff, you can't really do much with it, you know? Okay, so what I'm getting from that is like, yeah, I guess don't be one dimensional with what you're trying to get from conversations or information that you can get. Like, yeah, like there's a, a number of things that you just listed there that you could, you should always be aiming to at least learn about, ask questions around that could benefit your desk in the short term and long term. I guess the, the other thing I wanted to ask you then, Matt, as just final thing on this is what I speak to a lot of sort of, again, recruiters that are on that journey. And sometimes like it seems that they're quite worried about coming across the wrong way, not having the expertise when they're speaking to people as they're building up knowledge in, the, in an industry that likely they're still learning a lot about, they don't know a whole lot around. So just interested, like how did you, you're saying obviously get this information, speak to people, but what was the mindset towards like, why would these people give you time, Matt, when you're early on? Like if let's say when you're building out that NHS desk, like why would I give Matt Cox, the guy that's just starting out time? What what was the the approach there to candidates? Because I'm sure they're getting approached left, right and centre. Like what, what was the typical cool approach there to get actually time from these people and why it was worth their time to speak to you so to get an approach time from the candidates you've got to go in with giving them a compelling reason as to to want to listen to you so if you go in with something hi oh, this is me this is what i do i'm a specialist recruiter in this space i come across your cv and it looks ideal for one two three positions that i have doing xyz you pick something out about their cv or about their experience you know you they know that you've actually taken the time to read what they do and they'll be like right okay and give give you a couple of seconds if you're just going in hi my name's matt i just want to uh, talk to you about your your cv for a role i've got they're going to be like go away you've got to give them more than that <laughs> and give them yeah. something that is going to make them think that right you know what you're doing you know you're worth speaking to because you're connected with one company a b and c and show them that you've taken the time to pick something off their cv it could be anything that you know you i see you worked at Tesco, and I know I know a project over there that was doing really well, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Right, so right, that right. comes from what I said before about getting that market knowledge of people. And like, if you speak to a candidate, for, so you're you know, sourcing for a position, you speak to a candidate, you realise they're, they're actually not right. A lot of people just hang up that phone then, but right, he's not right for, for this position, you know, move on. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to maximise your time in each call, Right, you realise he's not right. Instead of hanging up, spend the next minute just getting one of the things I said, a referral, a lead, yeah, yeah. So a project, information about a project or something like that because not many people do that. They'll just be like, right, okay, you're not right and go. Whereas if I was on that call, I'd come off with probably a referral and a lead. Do you know what I mean? As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not a waste of my time. What I take from that then is like you have to lean on like you're someone that speaks to people like them 
all day, every day. You're someone that's well connected. You're someone that could probably help them at some point. So how important do you think it is to, to operate in a niche in today's market? So important. I think like the generalist recruitment is pretty dead. Like when you're going in and selling that you are a niche expert in this space, this is all that you do. It yeah. speaks volumes and instantly gives you credibility, you know. So what we do now, like solely specialising in Workday in the US, it's so niche and it gives us that leverage over other firms that recruit for one, two, three, four, five technologies because this is all we do. We, we sort of, you know, I like to use the term that sort of we're an inch wide, mile deep methodology. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, and then the, the, the other thing on this, because quite a few people say this now, so I'm, I'm always interested to hear people's perspective, but how, how would you define a niche in recruitment out of interest? Because everyone could maybe cut up in different ways. So like for you, how, how would you define a niche? Is it, do you typically, is it like done on region, job title? I, I don't know, like how do you typically, how would you define a, a niche out of interest that could be helpful for people? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry the recruitment operating system. For those of you that haven't seen, where have you been if you haven't seen this news already? But I just wanted to, to jump on and just say a huge congratulations to Vincere, who recently joined forces with the Access Group, partners with a heavyweight who share their vision of providing a single operating system for the front, middle, and back office for growing recruitment firms across the world. So what does that mean? Vincere have the same people, the same vision, just way more firepower and resources to make Vincere even better. So if you have not checked out Vinny already, please go and do so. Use the link in the show notes. You will not be disappointed. And of course, because you're going to be going through the podcast, you'll be looked after and you'll get your exclusive savings. Check it out. And again, huge congratulations to Vincere. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could dice it up multiple ways. So like you could just recruit for a, a certain technology. That could be a niche. That could be like mm. Workday. It could be, you know, Java. It could be, um, you know, a certain area of finance or something. Or it could be you only recruit, you know, in say cleaners, for example, like in yeah. Lon in London, or it could be you only recruit C-suite level people in Germany. It it's mm. just got to be either, I think, a technology focused or market focused or both. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Because I, I, I'm just always interested to hear that because some people may be listening to this go, yeah, no, I'm in the niche. And then they hear how people dice it up and go, actually, I could probably be even more focused. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's actually still a bit too broad, the, the way that I've been um, approaching things, you know? So... Okay, so let, let's go into let's go into sort of Matt Cox, the business owner. I'm, I'm, this is obviously what what I'm really interested in. So, like, let's let's just sort of touch on Graham Matthews for a second here. So, I have to ask this. I'm 28 myself, and one of the things that I hear a lot of the time when I'm speaking to again recruiters that are early on in their their journey is like they can sometimes suffer from sort of imposter syndrome. They think, oh, like. Like, who am I to be speaking to these C-suite people? Like, am I going to come across stupid, unknowledgeable, these types of things? So I have to ask, obviously, you started growing Matthews when you were 24. You went down the investment route. Did that even come into your head? Like, I'm out of my depth here. Like, I'm pitching for investment. I don't know. Like, did that ever come up for you? I didn't feel like that when I was pitching for, for investment. I think when I started the business, I felt imposter syndrome to a degree. And like, I still feel that sometimes now. Like, I think that's... yeah 
quite normal. Like I, I know why I think that I, I know everything, or you know, I'm, you know, no, you know, the best at everything by far. But I think yeah, that's normal to feel like that. So yeah, not when I pitch for investment, but when I started doing it and started hiring people, I think because when I was pretty young, I did feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, and I, and I know it is really common. I guess like I know you said that yeah, you have humility and you don't think you know it all. But I don't because yeah, I feel like maybe it showed up with things like I don't know. I'm I'm just sort of having a guess here, but I don't know. Yeah, like you said, when you're hiring for Graham Matthews, your old company, and you've got like I don't know a 32 year old in front of you, you go fucking hell, I'm I'm running this company. This guy's <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like how yeah, did yeah. how I guess I'm just interested to hear like what the thought process was to make like internally for you that made sure that that didn't sort of paralyze you or like stop you from pushing forward do you know what I mean I don't know if there's anything that you actively did or I don't know if there's anything you could share there that might help other people that have to deal with that so when I had my first company Graham Matthews I I did make quite a lot of mistakes and I think part of that was due to being so young you know a bit naive and like when you're speaking to people that are older than you, you've got, just got to get your head around that it's your business, like they're working for you. Yeah, they might be older than you and outside of work, you may you know, look at them in a different way in effect because you know, I've always, a lot of people are taught to sort of respect their elders in, in a sense, but yeah, it's, yeah, your, yeah, it's, your, it's your business, you're paying them, they're there to help you build that and you've got to, got to work together. It's not just because he's older, if it, you know, he or she's older that they're, they can tell you what to do. It's your business. You're, you've got to run things internally. Yeah. Okay. It's a couple of things that I just want to hear then, then we'll, we'll get into how international. So you mentioned their mistakes. What, what were some of the mistakes that you made? Having investment, you know, probably intensifies things a bit and it's sort of a different way of building a, a business, if I'm honest. But a mistake that I made pretty, pretty early on was hiring too quickly. So... You know, I remember that we were sort of three months old, you know, and I hired like four graduates. That was massive error because the business wasn't <laughs> wasn't going anywhere near to what it should, you know, wasn't bringing yeah. anywhere near enough business to, to cope with that. And then all the time that it took away from training, I had to train these people to actually building the business and growing it initially, it just didn't work, you know, but that was just pure naivety, being young, yeah. you know, had had different advice on things and it, that just didn't work so i think a lot of people in the space still do probably now like hire for vanity yeah to say yeah, like, yeah. i've got a 10 20 30 40 50 man business when that doesn't mean anything like that doesn't what, mean anything yeah, yeah yeah what matters is how profitable you are and how what is your productivity per head and what the business is actually generating you know so yeah, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of these bigger companies I find some of them you know not all of them by any means but some of them only 20% of the staff in there actually generating all, all the revenue everyone else in there is just sort of yeah it's quite common yeah I mean I I typically a lot of companies that I, I've spoken to like their average like if you were to like actually av- average it all out like their average sort of billings per, per head is, is, is typically anywhere between like 100 to 120 grand but and then like if they were to say they were doing like five million in revenue, like a big chunk, let's say, but and then like eighty percent of that is being done by their like top five performers. Do you know what I mean? But then the average is that, yeah. You, you, yeah, I think that's definitely a fair assessment. Yeah, so that's pretty common. Th- so yeah, I hired I hired people too quickly. Uh, I hired some of the wrong people. Like I, I hired people when I first started. Like I thought, right, I can do this. I know that I can bill X amount. I'm sure yeah. anyone else could do that because I don't. I don't find what I'm doing. I don't think I'm doing anything particularly special, right? 
sure. and then you hire people and you realise right they're not they're not like me that it sounds stupid but it took me a while to get my head around it why can't yeah it's really do, common why can't they do yeah, that yeah. when I, I find that bit so easy you held them to the same expectations of like a Matt, yeah Matt Cox or the same standards as you would but that don't really work <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it does it sounds silly but that's, that's what I did um, and I said yeah. I made so many mistakes in the first 18 months of that business but you know I'm, I'm grateful that I did it did that you know and yeah, I learned yeah. from that so then let's also touch on like so what what did we learn from like the investment route then so you said it intensified things like all that like what would you say were the, the things that you learned from going down that route because there'll be people listening to this that may be considering going down that route what were the main things that you learned do you think I learned how to run a business properly in particular a recruitment business like Say, for example, at school, maths was never never my strong point and I always struggled with oh, that. Yeah, same in, yeah, English, always really good at. But so in terms of getting my head around all the finance elements of the business, like that took me a while. But I used to go and sit down with like the CFO of the investment firm and just really pick his brains about what does this mean? What does this mean? Why does that, right. why does that yeah. mean that? So I learned all the back office side of things really well. And I just, I said, as I said, I just learned how to really operate run and grow a successful recruitment business and just from from yeah from every angle really learn about all the legal side the sort of operational side the financial side so that was absolutely brilliant like you know i don't think Hale would be going as well as it is now if i hadn't done that but yeah as you said back to your question it is a bit it is very different so you've got to if you're going for investment you've got to think why am I going, why do I want investment? You know, is it to grow the business? Is it uh, because the people who invest in me have got such a good track record at doing a certain thing that I want to do? Or are you just doing it for the getting investment for the sake of getting investment? You know, like if it's just for capital, do you need to go and get investment and give away loads of of, uh, equity in your business? Or could you get a bank loan or... Instead, if you want that guidance that, you know, you think investment's going to bring, could you go and get a net? You know, so you've just got yeah, to think yeah. why you want it. You know, if the investor, investor's ambitions match up to yours and they can offer you what exactly what you're looking for, then go for it. But, you know, it's a different world in terms of when you take investment, it's no longer like your business in effect because, you know, investors now have a stake in it. And in a lot of cases, they have a majority stake in the business. So... It's like onboarding a business partner, so you've really got to yeah, make yeah. sure that you know you get along with them, you you know, and you know them, and it's going to work out because like having a business partner is like being in a relationship to a degree, you know, yeah, of course, as, as yeah, some yeah, people yeah. will know. So you just got to really you know approach it and think, why do I want investment? Because it can be fantastic and get you to where you want to go, can propel the business and grow the business, but. If you get it wrong, then, you know, it, it could leave you feeling sort of dissatisfied with your business, dissatisfied with where you're at and where it's going, you know, which obviously won't be a great feeling. Yeah, no, thanks, Shona. I think that that's actually such a great insight in like, if, yeah, one of the great things that you learn or had like basically, because like if you think as a typical start recruitment business, those things that you're saying in like, yeah, the legal finances or whatever, most people probably just just do that I don't know I guess just like learn as they go do all these stuff they might outsource it at some point but because you went down that route it was treated as like a proper I say proper but do you know what I mean like a proper business from day one so you had those financial meetings you had to prepare for them you had to show the P&L all that whereas if you didn't go down that route 
you like I don't know you might have got your mate you might have got your like mates as an accountant do you know what I mean so that that's actually a really good insight to be fair I think if you start a recruitment business or any business if you haven't done all that before it's going to take you a year or two a year or so to get your head around how all that actually works and fits together properly so yeah I feel that going through when I went through that I learned from you know really credible people in in the industry and you know, took a lot away from that, you know. So I think I learned the best way to do things in to a degree that obviously I, I that knowledge will stay with me forever. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that, that's really good insight. So so obviously you exited that business in December twenty eighteen and then we're going to hell, but just quickly like what what did that feel like? It's just a mixture of emotions really. Like, you know, I sort of was when I, I left there I was walking away from, you know, very comfortable lifestyle to a degree. But, you know, I just wanted to go on to, to new things essentially so yeah just a real a real mix of emotions like you know yeah I can I know I can imagine and wasn't well, obviously wasn't too long then till you started Hell International what what was like I guess what what I'd love to just I guess unpack here is like I'm assuming sort of the mindset going into that was just like all the things that you've sort of learned along the way you now wanted to go right this is how I want to do things how and, and the business that I'm I'm building so I guess what like if we think at the beginning, what were like, if we were to start with like the strategy, I don't know, what were sort of the key things that you were thinking about on the strategy side of growing this recruitment business, you doing it on your own that was really top of mind because of all the things that you learned on, on that journey? Like what were the things that you wanted to do differently or the approach out of interest? What was the mindset there? Well, after I left there, I, I took some time out on holiday. I did a bit of consulting and stuff like that, just thinking about what what's the best thing for me to do next. Obviously, once I decided that, you know, I was going to, set up a game um, it was all about picking the right market and sort of the right right technology to sort of set up a business in but when the first thing that I wanted to make sure I got right was getting a good database so in getting a good database when you start your business I think is imperative because if you don't then all your where you're going to store your information is it, it's just going to be a mess if you don't track your information or know have a place to store your candidate notes or your client data what are you going to do you know so getting all the right sort of all the right infrastructure set up was important for me. So, you know, in terms of like my database, you know, had to sort out all my invoice finance for the contractors that we yeah. hope that we would get. Let's talk. Let's um, talk about that for a second, if you don't mind. Like, would you mind just sharing? Because it's a really common question I get, mate. Like, what CRMs do people really rate? Like the invoice. Like, what what are some of the companies that you've had good experiences with? So for our CRM, we use Vincherry, which is really good. Okay, nice. So yeah, really rate that. Then another sort of real key tool that I think most recruitment businesses should have is Zoom Info. So yeah, that, that's mega in America, isn't it? Yeah, that that's sort of game changing. That uh, that bit of software. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had someone say this before. Is like you have to if you're in the American market, you have to use Zoom Info. Yeah, it's it's not the cheapest. So I'm not <laughs> going to lie, but it, it's well worth it. So it, it gives us probably it's probably correct about eight or nine times out of ten. So we yeah. now no longer ever call switchboards. I can't. We haven't done that for yeah, a yeah. year. And that, that's so, never fucking fun, is it? <laughs> no. So half the time you don't get through to them. Half the time yeah. you're in a meeting. Now what we do is call hiring managers mobiles, which has been game changing for us. You know, so that yeah, yeah. I think yeah, the best best products that I've worked with are probably Vincherry, Zoom Info. We have One Up Sales in as well. In the oh, nice. Now, which is really really good. Which allows consultants to track their KPIs, find what's going on, and like we have like run competitions on it. 
you know, when, it, when everything before was like old school, like on white balls. Now, when someone does a deal, it's all linked to Venturi. It goes it's all links, yeah, yeah. The screens around the office and stuff. So, yeah, that's really good nice. from like a management perspective to drill down and monitor what everyone's doing. Mm. Like, you know, you've got to know your KPIs as a, as a business owner, know what your conversion rates are and things like that. Having all those dashboards on there is really, really helpful. It's really helpful, yeah. What about on the um, invoice factoring side? Because I know I, I get, I've got quite a lot of messages about that before. Because I know that's that can be a bit of a pain if you get that wrong, can't it? And I know there's nuances here, right? There might be different things, but what what, what have you ended up having a good experience with? Um, so we we were with a company called C- or Siemens Financial Services, but they decided that they wanted to pull out the invoice financing market for <laughs> some reason, even though apparently they were profitable. I don't really get why. So we had to literally about a month, a couple of months ago, so I had to renegotiate oh, wow. the deal with someone else. So, you know, that... All of that side setting up how was brand new to me because before obviously when I had investment that was already all done so that was part of the um, yeah, yeah yeah so like coming out of investment and coming into doing this myself there's a lot more things that I've had to do and get involved with and get to know and learn which overall I'm grateful for because it's made me a better a better businessman yeah so now when, with invoice discounting, you've got to work out, it's all purely based upon can they, the levels of f- service they can provide, like what is the, the, the fee, the service fee they're going to charge, you know, and yeah. can they keep up, can they keep up with the demand that, you know, you're going to, the volume of business you're going to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. So let, let's unpack this uh, American journey then, mate. Like what, what was the approach here then? Because like how long was it just you for? I hired a guy that used to work for me on day one, to be honest with you. So okay, nice. day, so had he had day, experience? Yeah, he had experience. He yeah. uh, had gone off traveling and stuff a few years before, a guy called Jack, and then he came back. And I think was, at the time, I think I think he was just doing some work for his dad and stuff, working out what he, if he was going to go back into recruitment, what he was going to do. And I said, look, come with me, this is yeah, what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sold on the dream, mate. How international, let's go. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that must have been nice then to have someone right at the beginning, right? Yeah. I got an office from day one just because I can't work from home. Instead of sitting office on my own, it was good to have someone to bounce ideas off and go through that journey with an effect. And, you know, it got the business moving a lot quicker. Like I focused on bringing in the business and Jack focused on not finding the candidates. So candidate side. Yeah. It, it just got things moving a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't didn't didn't, uh, didn't go down the route of hiring four grads no, straight out of the right. gate, mate. <laughs> I thought about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so okay, let, let's talk about this then, because this is what people will be interested. In. Like, what what things have you noticed that you've had to get? I don't know how you've had to adapt to, or like in terms of the nuances of of, of being successful in the US market. Out of interest, like any differences there that you that you've picked up on? A lot of some a lot of people ask me this. To be honest with you, that I've spoken to in terms of like, yeah. I've got, how do I recruit in the US? Like, what do I need to do? Like, how, what style of recruiting do I do? And I'm sort of like, it's exactly the same as the UK. What you, how you recruit is exactly the same, you know? But there's just things you've got to get your head around from like a legality perspective. So every state has different laws, different tax havens and, and things like that. They work in different ways. And, you know, contract works a lot differently. So it's different to the UK. Like, there's no I-35 and it's... A, they have different uh, corporations people can either work on like a w-2 basis which means they're basically like a full-time employee which is the equivalent to in the uk people running through an umbrella company or they have their own their own corporation 
um, like a C Corp or an S Corp, or they can be what's called like a 1099 where they manage their own taxes and things like that. So you've got to understand without going into it all like in depth, you've got to understand yeah, yeah, the, dif- understand the differences that. of those and how they could impact you as a business and impact your clients. Um, and then sure. just be aware of like we have to file taxes in every single state that we operate in for, or have contractors working. So you need to get to grips with like, you know, a good accountant over there who's going to run all that for you. Okay, nice. Thanks for sharing that. And then I guess, what was the approach then? Like no one knew who How International was, I'm assuming. No one, I don't, like, no one knew who really Matt Cox was. What was the best way that you started building traction on, on winning business from a, a, a recruitment company no one knew about? Exactly what I said to you before, earlier, to be honest, the way I start, you start a death. Really? So you, you get the candidates, you speak to them, you find out what's going on in the market, you strip their CVs for the companies they've worked at, get information out from them, leads, referrals, manager names, and then you just go to market with that. So if you get a good candidate, we took them to market, we'd send them out to a load of hiring managers and just selling, selling our candidates, essentially. And then on LinkedIn, obviously LinkedIn lists a lot of, permanent vacancies on there in different areas so we've got a list of them approach all the companies on there got a few permanent roles on and then just started motoring from there you know yeah how did you go about was was you like quite strategic with the state that you wanted to focus on because america is so big what what was the thought process there was there a plan there or i don't know did you sort of decide it as you started building things out or yeah so i i underestimate how big america was to be honest with you like <laughs> You know, I think like New York's like five times bigger than the UK or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I under, underestimate that massively. So initially we, for the first sort of week or two, we started just looking at America, like workday jobs in America. And I was like, we, we can't do this. Like, <laughs> sort of, sort well, of like, literally like, like workday jobs in the whole of America. Like, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it. yeah like, okay. It started unfolding to me. I was like, shit, this is massive. You know, we can't, this <laughs> This isn't this isn't doable. So we we spoke. We just got rid of everything and just focused on New York initially. So working with companies in the Great New York City area, so New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and then that that focus, find all the candidates based there, all the contractors that wanted to work there, uh, all were based there, and it just sort of scaled from there. And then you know we had a really good first six months. Um, moved into a big office, and then the pandemic hit, and then. It all became about everyone was fully remote, which in a way has now helped us because before about 40, 50% of all our vacancies were remote in Workday. Oh, oh, wow, okay. So it was already that sort of model because Workday is a cloud-based system. But now it's probably more like from a survey we did internally the other week, it's about 95% of all our jobs are remote. Really? Mm. So that is game-changing so, so it, it means you can tap into more talent pools so i can work in those states that you mentioned but i could be based somewhere else yeah so it's given us access to a wider talent pool now so if a client comes to us and says like we need a company in new york comes to us and says right i need someone to do x y and z we now no longer have to look just in new york we can look in california texas you know colorado anywhere it's made it easier yeah, yeah. to find talent and then obviously from your experiences in the past companies and stuff like, like obviously a lot of people assume fees are bigger. I know obviously contracts a bit different, but like notice, obviously you've seen on a perm side, notice periods are obviously a lot shorter. Recruitment, 
I'm a headhunter. Recruitment is seen as a lot more of like a, an actual profession. It isn't sort of looked down as much. Like, would you say all those things are tr- like, has that rung true for you? You can agree better terms with these companies. They're paying 30% more. I don't like, how's that played out for you? Is that sort of played out for you as well? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. Like always, I think the best way to hear about a product and how it's had a positive impact on a recruitment business is by listening to the customers who've invested in the product. But before you hear a really great soundbite from Ben Broughton, who is the founder of Premise, who we've actually had on the podcast, there's a good chance right now if you're a recruitment business owner that you're hiring. Your clients have loads of jobs. You need more people to help deliver on these jobs. So you're probably thinking, one, how can I hire more people? And two, how can I get more people up to speed doing more deals quickly? Well, in this short soundbite, you're going to hear how investing in the right tech, having the right tools can absolutely impact your speed to competency and get likely your trainees that you're going to hire up to speed more quickly. So have a listen to Ben. And as always, if you like what you hear, go and check out Sourcebreaker. Use the link in the show notes. You will be stupid not to, and uh, you will get an exclusive deal and money off the product if you go through the Recruitment Mentors podcast. So go and check it out. Enjoy. Saucy B, Sourcebreaker, huge, huge fan. Oh, mate, love, love it. Absolutely love it. Adam and Steve down there, brilliant, brilliant product. I've been a massive champion and ambassador of it since it was a bloody spreadsheet, God knows how many years ago, to, to the incredible product that it is today. Sorty Bid's brilliant for, we were talking about that kind of growth and scale, bringing new consultants into your business, trainees, that product will help them be more effective quicker. We did, I did some crazy ROI stats in terms of bringing, bringing rookies to the business, getting them using Sourcebreaker, the Boolean tools, the MI chasing, all that kind of stuff. Absolute no-brainer for your business. Yeah, fees are probably three to six times bigger than the UK. Wow. So that's another, that's a reason, like, I didn't know it was going to be that big, to be honest, you're coming into it. I knew they'd be bigger, but not that much bigger. Fees are a lot bigger. It's a lot more transactional in the US. So, like, we're working with companies, you know, that have had relationships with firms for, like, 10 years, and just because we've got a better candidate or they buy into us more, they'll get rid of the other agency and work with us. Like, it's right, more... Right, right, right. You have you yeah. obviously can build relationships, and we have a lot of exclusive business now and things like that. But it is more transactional in terms of someone will use you because you've got a better candidate. Regardless yeah, they won't of, go like, mate, you're not, not you're not on our PSL, mate. Like to come back to us in like six weeks if you've got the the no. best person. Then yeah, and we found people that would say disregard their current supply and work with us just because we've come across better or have a better candidate. So there, I don't know if there's the same loyalty probably that is a probably right word as, as say the UK or European markets that I've experienced. Yeah, I'd say, what was your other, other point you said, sorry? The fees, uh, no, like the, notice periods. I know that's like more perm, but notice periods is that, because a lot of people go to say notice periods like two weeks. Yeah, two weeks, Yeah, two notices. So you can squeeze in placements a lot quicker. And like yeah, that's mega. in Europe, for example, for in workday, some of the notice periods are three months. Anything can three happen months. in that I've heard some of six months as well in some markets as well, yeah. do you know what I mean? And like you can Mad. do all that work, wait all that time, and then two months in they pull out. Because as you know, if a permanent candidate's yeah, on yeah. the notice period, they're a free agent. A better opportunity comes along, yeah, whereas yeah, here yeah. it's two weeks. I mean, legally in the US, there is no notice period. People could walk out the next day. Really? Know, but yeah, so they give two weeks. That's what's in their, their contract book. 
all the uh, employment terms are favoured to the employee in the in the US. So we don't typically or never would advise anyone to do that just for relationship purposes. But yeah, you can yeah. you can turn things around so quickly. Yeah. So from day one, then were you working like US hours? Yeah. So to be honest with you, <laughs> from the first the first six months, I was doing like. 10 a.m. till 12, 1 in the morning. Crazy. You know, it was yeah, mental yeah, yeah. to get it off the ground, which looking back now, it was crazy, but it was a lot of fun, right? Uh, <laughs> getting that moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we started doing, finish, we started doing like uh, midday till 10 o'clock, or well, no, 10, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And then it got, got into it and it just got a bit unsustainable, you know, like working yeah, yeah. till that late night from that that time in the morning. So now we, our core hours are 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Everyone's normally yeah. here about half 10 till about nine, half nine yeah. some nights, you know, getting things done if needs be. We all have apps on our phone to take calls at home and things like that. But yeah, core hours are now 11 to eight, which we find works really, really well, but we don't do the West Coast. So we can't service that from here. Just, just, you know, we've had a couple of, we've got a few clients there, had a few roles, but it does involve taking calls at, you know, one, two in the morning. Silly the hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how has that impacted, like, owners listen to that, might think, how, 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 obviously you're 10 people now, like, how has that affected your internal hiring? I don't know if, you, if you've had to deal with that, like, because I'm sure some people sit in front of you and then you're like, yeah, so call hours, 10, 10 to wait, and they're going, oh, fuck, I didn't know that. Do you know what I mean? Has it, has it impacted your internal hiring, do you think? Has that been difficult? Yeah, I mean, some people don't want to do it, you know, like it doesn't work with their mm. lifestyle. Some people have commitments after work or whatever, like, you know, I've got two kids myself, but why I look at it is that I get to spend all morning with them, you know, where as if I worked in London, I was up at five getting the six o'clock train every morning and I was getting in at <laughs> eight, nine at night. So for me, I'd probably get home at roughly the same time I used to, to be honest with you, um, but I get all morning now with my kids. So some people yeah. don't want to do it, but it is what 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 works for you, right? But it has hindered yeah, it yeah. to to a degree. But on the flip side, I think if you're serious about you know becoming successful in recruitment and making a lot of money, then sort of you could look past that, you know. Yeah, and like it's really interesting, right? So I sat down with um, a guy called um, Patrick. He started a business called Coltec, and he's been doing just the the US market. And something that he was telling me was, and I don't know how this has played out for you, but he he's obviously got an, a team that just do obviously they're in the UK, they're in American hours. And what he's sort of found is that what they've had to be really clear on is like if you really put in the work now, these are the hours. Like the the sort of carrot and the goal is for you to go over to the US. This is where we need to be. This is what's going to happen. Like, have you have you built that into it? Like, and I'm, is that part of like what people's goals are? Like, the fact that they could take their careers to the US is that part of your plan? And is that what you've communicated to people? Yeah, def- definitely. I mean, COVID impacted that a bit. Like, we haven't been able to go out there for a couple of years, which is essentially the whole time the business has been going. Like, where the first three months after launch, Jack and I went out there. Uh, took Jack with me. We just went out there, met. All of our clients, well, not all of our clients, we had a few clients by then, um, a number of candidates. We had like a party on a rooftop out there, which is pretty cool. Like, all candidates come to that. But that is a long-term goal. Yeah, I mean, the guys, we, we're split between. So a couple of guys are out there at the moment. And some of the guys are going out there in the new year just to work from like an office we have there. And then sort of the goal by the end of next year to, to is to have someone that wants to launch our LA office. So for 2023, we're, we're ready to rock and roll, have 
sort of an office out there, but you know, the search begins for that next year to find someone that you know wants to take their career to the next level, wants to be part of a growing brand, um, and wants to essentially own their own business to a degree because they'll be running that office out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I love that. So, a couple of final things then before we um wrap up i guess obviously we're talking a bit you spoke a bit about earlier around how you've gone about winning business blah 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 like in terms of now you've been doing it for the last two and a half years what has been the most consistent successful way then of you guys winning business getting good logos on like how how has that played out what has ended up being the best way of doing that out of interest in terms of winning business so for for contracts it's all the best way has all just been really about selling in solutions so to be a successful contract recruiter, I think you've really got to understand, obviously your market, like I said, but you've got to be able to sell in solutions. So you can't just ring up a company and say, what contract jobs have you got? Can we work them? You've got to be able to identify problems. So when you can identify a problem and uncover that when speaking to a client, a problem they didn't know they had or didn't know how to fix and selling that solution, that leads to a lot of jobs, a lot of credibility and also a long-term client. So we have a lot of success. I've talked with the guys how to do that. So I think selling solutions is massive. On the solutions part, I was sitting down with a a, a consultant, a recruitment consultancy yesterday who, yeah, been on that journey as well. They're, they're delivering a statement of works and these types of things. Like when you say solutions, what like have you productized a couple of different solutions that you have on the contract side? Like I think people will be interested in that. When you say solutions, what are some of the different types of solutions out, out for example? So like say you're speaking to a manager and they're sort of saying to you, you start speaking to them, like how's it how's your team going? How are you performing? What it's just key questions like what keeps you up at night? If you sort of had a blank checkbook, what what would you write? What would you hire right now? What is causing you the most stress? What's your what's your boss breathing down your neck about? What would you improve about a certain aspect of the system, for example, in your that you're using? Where is the biggest skills gap in your team? Why is that there? What would you do if you you could fix that or how would you go about fixing that all these questions just build up and build up and all the answers you just ask another open leading question and once they identify themselves a problem or tell you what's keeping them up or what what's wrong you sell in what the solution to that i mean by like saying right we can fix this for you this is i've got a candidate i know someone that can do xyz this is what we've done for another firm and this is how they benefited from it so this guy could come in and do this for you which would mean xyz and they're like, right, oh, I, I didn't you, even right, know, yeah. know that existed or I didn't even know that we could we could do that. I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. So a lot of the time, hiring managers will have a problem, but they won't know what they need to do to fix it or don't know how to go about that. So you've got to uncover the problem for them and make them realise yeah. themselves what problem they have. Once they say it to themselves out loud, they identify it in a sense, you're in sort of thing. that You're selling, that, you're selling what you, the company... The solution is probably the candidate and what the hell they can fix that for them. And that's, yeah. Got it. Bang. No, I love that. Yeah. I think that is, I don't know how you feel about that, but I do feel like recruit, like a modern day recruiter recruitment business are going to be selling solutions, not like not not recruitment. I don't know. I was having this conversation this week. I think, as you said, it's it's, it's got it's going to have to become more and more solution selling, isn't it? For you to, as you said, to really solve those problems and not just think, oh, it, oh, I'm just paying for this person to come in here and do Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you got. I think the that's, this is going to be the as we recruitment industry continues to sort of grow and thrive. It's it's going to be the new norm. Like you know, I think the old way of doing recruitment is going to die out. You've got to be able to. You've got to know your market. You've got to be in a niche. You've got to be able to sell solutions. You know, and if you do that, like that's what I've always done throughout my career, and that you know led me from being 
you know, a couple of hundred K bill at uh, over, over a million K bill, you know, like you've got to be able yeah, to yeah. sell solutions. I've talked that to all my guys and really pressed upon that this year and sort of, you know, seeing people be able to develop those skills and do that has been massive. Like, you know, we've had people in the business go from having billing like 150 grand to one of the guys now this year doing over 500 grand, a couple of guys doing over 400K. And it's all come from identifying... It's just different type of mindset. Yeah. yeah. Ident- it's just identifying problems or, you know, making customers tell you their problems first before you go in and just yeah. sell to them what you've got. So it c- same for Perm. Like, obviously, sometimes they don't know what they would need. Like, they've just got something isn't functioning correctly in their team or functioning correctly in the business, and they don't really know what they need to fix that. Yeah. So it's going in with the... Rather than asking them, like, well, what do you think we should do then? Like, what, what would you like to hire to fix that? They'll go, I don't know. If you go in with the mindset of, you know, I'm here to add value because I'm a specialist, I know what I'm doing, I don't ever really ask any clients what they want to do, how they want to hire. I would tell them what I would I'd recommend to them, how I think they should after hire. After you so, finding out, yeah, yeah, after you've done all that work of finding out, yeah, where they're at, yeah. what they need help with, all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, uncover the great. problem. And go in and then mm. say, right, this is what I rec- this is what you need. Then you need to hire someone that's going to have these skills to yeah, do yeah, this yeah. for you to achieve that. Do you know what I mean? And it builds yeah. a whole different level of credibility for yourself and the company in the market. Yeah, totally. You said obviously solutions, and that's been big. Mm. And actually, you're going. In, what was the other thing you was going to say? Sorry, hopefully you can remember. Remember when I said like, what's really helped you content like in the last two and a half years? What what's always sort of shown up as the best way to continue to win business, get new logos on all that? You said yes, like having to sell solutions, and you're going to say say one more thing. What's helped us continue to get business? I think you know, I think you've always got to, no matter how many jobs you have on. I think you know you've always got to continue to have find time during your day uh, as a consultant and get your consultants to find time to do BD. So, you know, just to keep your name out there, because half the jobs you get, you know, say you had 10 jobs, three of them probably aren't going to be worth working, at least, because the salary won't be right. If it's per the salary won't be right, the location may not be right, or something's going to be unrealistic about it, or they might have it with two or three other agencies, you know. So you've always just got to be continuing to get get your name out there and speak to new people and get jobs and get leads and get market knowledge. So I think that's a big one, never just sitting back and just focus on, on, on filling jobs yeah yeah and I think also what's and able to keep getting business is just like continually we've had a we're not obviously experts at this like I've just offered yesterday um, a marketing guy a person to come on and uh, work for us to really sort of push this now but we've been doing a lot of email campaigns ourselves internally and we've seen a nice. lot of success from that come through which has been massive. And I think also a big thing that I'd say I've noticed massively in the last 12 months is that people in sales are reluctant to get on the phone now. People don't like doing that and they just think they can do it all over LinkedIn. They think they can just send emails and win all this business. And you can win business doing that. And, you know, it has changed to a degree, but people don't call. Like I get all different types of services, probably between two and five people contact me a week, right? And... Not one of them will call me, but they'll send me four follow, email. four follow-up emails. Why, why don't you get on the phone and, and sell yourself to me? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. It's, it's mad, isn't it? I know you dropped me a note, and then I just I just like picked up the phone. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I, I always think that. My personal thing when I use like sales myself is more about what can I do before I call Matt Cox 
that could make that call just be a bit more f uh, familiar. Do you know what I mean? So I think it should be about what do you do before to make that first initial call just uh, potentially like a bit more better. Do you know what I mean? Or you have a better chance of them knowing who you are or you build a little bit of trust. Yeah. That, that's how I view it. It shouldn't be in place of, should it? It shouldn't be in place of making that call when you've sent like five follow-up emails. What are your thoughts on this? Just looping back, like, have you seen this? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, they still haven't given me one call. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't get that. And like some hiring managers that will ring now, you know, will say to them, you know, just call them out of the blue. And they're like, you know, you, I don't really get any calls. This is the first call I've had about this. And we're like, well, yeah. you know, we're, we're different. We're here to, to help you. We, <laughs> we make calls. We use yeah, the phone. Yeah. <laughs> we, use it, we, use, we use it, though, as a good differentiator to competitors because yeah, people, yeah. Don't, people don't call anymore. And like, if you get on the phone and build a relationship and understand what your client wants, you can't understand what clients want and their pain points and sell solutions from an email. People may tell you that you can, but you, you just can't sell solutions and build relationships from emails, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what I, what I have to ask you, mate, before we finish, I know we're going into a bit of the granular here, but I, I know that this really helps. So what's been your best year billings-wise then? So, so you, you definitely went over the million pound mark? To be honest, I'm still very hands-on. Like the, 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 the uh, challenge for me next year is to become less hands-on and transfer more stuff over to the team. But this year... Yeah. This will be my best year whilst running the business. I've it's going to finish on about one point two million that I'll build. Yeah, so that's that's nuts. So like, really common development error I keep hearing at the moment is the time management piece. And I think yeah, everyone's really busy, as you said quite early on. Like people could quite easily be busy full. So yeah, I, I know people would love to know like if you're yeah producing those types of numbers, like what are your non-negotiables each day. How do you break down your day plan to make sure that you have yeah the the best chance of doing what you need to each day that's gonna get you closer to your goals. So, so would you mind breaking that down a bit and then we'll sort of wrap up there? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So it's what I do and get all my guys to sort of follow the same suit really. So in the morning I'll come in, sort of all my admin. I always do my day plan the night before. So I know as soon as I walk in the next day, I don't have to sit there for 20 minutes thinking what I'm going to do. And if you do it the night before, everything's fresh in your head of what's gone right and what's gone wrong essentially so you can build on that the next day so that saves time in the morning so come in do all my admins sort out my emails i might build some more lists that i'm going to approach with bd um, or sort out some projects and stuff on linkedin just get everything sort of lined up that i need to sort admin wise go back to people and then as soon as half 12 comes half 12 is half seven in new york so i'll get on the phone and for an hour or two, probably till two o'clock to be honest with you for an hour and a half just purely do BD, so catching managers before work. So I might be calling project leads of companies that are implementing Workday, just general managers I know that are hiring and have been hard to get hold of. And so I'll smash the phones for an hour and a half to, till, till two. Um, and then I'll typically have some lunch at my desk for 15, 20 minutes and then get on back on to assess if I need to either find candidates for roles, I'll do that for, I do we typically split, split our things up into sprints. So two hours per sprint of just focusing on one particular thing. So that might be just sourcing candidates. So right for the, um, for the next two hours, I'm just going to find candidates for X, Y, Z. I'm just going to call through these hundred candidates here that could be for, to generate leads or whatever it is. And then again, come assess my day and come back to, to more BD. But I think it's just a mixture. Like there's not two recruitments. There's not too many things you can do. It's a mixture of candidate sourcing uh, for positions, business development, but always like, throughout the week, you've got to build in things that are going to generate business outside of that, where it could just be like lead gen, it could just be doing some some market research. And I think another important thing is to set yourself non-negotiable targets. So if you want to 
be successful and then and you know build a lot of money, you've got to be hitting targets that you set yourself, whether that is a certain amount of CVs you get out a day per week, a certain amount of client calls that you have with managers. Um, so like typically what we say here is that you know, you've got to send out a certain amount of spec CVs per week. You've got to, you know, targeted specs. I'm not talking about bring up 100 people and just spec in absolute shit. I'm talking yeah, about random. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. a good candidate into a project of a company you know that would need that person. That's a targeted spec that's going to actually get a job, not just spraying shit of all that will ruin your credibility yeah, quicker yeah. than anything. We typically say you should speak to 10 candidates per day and 10 and five hiring managers per day as a minimum. If you do that every week, that's 50 candidates you've spoken to. And 25 hiring managers by the, if you do that every week for a month I can guarantee you you'll be successful unless you and you go onto those calls and as I said come away with something that is either if you're speaking to a candidate get their permission send them to a vacancy get some market knowledge get a, a, a referral of another candidate think is good get a lead or um, get a manager or two that they've worked work for before and if you're speaking to a hiring manager you know on that call don't be afraid to push them. If they're like, right, I'm not speaking to you, I'm not right, you know, just keep pushing them and say, you know, what, but who is right? Who can I speak to? What is... Who is right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, how, how can I, how can, is there a better time for me to call you back? And then follow them up with an email saying, thanks for your time. Sorry I interrupted you. I'll, I'll give you a call back at this time on that date, just so that you show that you're yeah. on top of things and good at what you do. Yeah. No, honestly, look, I think look, some people might go, oh, that's like so KPIs or all that. And I, I think the, the thing that I think people really struggle with is that they don't know what their non-negotiables are that will give them the best possible chance of achieving their goals. Do you know what I mean? So I think that that's clear. And then I think, as you said, if you do that for a month, you'll probably gain traction. You'll pro- there'll probably be some really positive things in that. But and then if you actually give your, if you actually do that, then you can go, well, like I thought I'd get more out of this or I could, like you can then you're giving yourself an opportunity to improve in certain areas if you're not getting what you hope to out of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if, you, if you're willing to put yourself in those situations that amount of times, you can then go, okay, Matt, so I've done, I'm, I'm putting in the work, I've got the volume there, but I do feel like I could, like, I'm not getting as many interviews or this. Then it's like, okay, well, let, like, let's talk about the, the conversation you're having or the objections that you're having to deal with. Do you get what I mean? Then you can then work on the quality. Yeah. But you have to have the non-negotiables. Yeah. And I think that's, when I speak to people, they don't know what those are. For, they don't know what those are. They really don't. Yeah, you got. It's obviously going to differ from market to market, but yeah, I'm not talking about KPIs that your boss would set you or your manager would set you. Like you know, if you're new into recruitment or you know trying to get improve, and you're listening to this, you've got to set things yourself that you know you'll help hold yourself accountable for. Because as people know, recruitment the reason I love it so much is because it's one of the most entrepreneurial careers out there. So you're managing your desk. You've got to set the basic KPIs for you to allow you to be successful. And it's not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen in three months. It's going to happen if you consistently do these things month in, month out for you know a year plus. Then you're going to start X. really seeing yeah, yeah, the results yeah. and really getting somewhere. Yeah, love it. Look, Matt, it's been... Uh, I know there's so much more we, we can go into, but we'll have to get you back on when uh, you're another two years into the journey but yeah no i'm really excited to share that i've ever run from everything from yeah day plans winning business the us i just want to yeah mate kudos to you mate on uh keep Thank demanding you. more of yourself achieving more like i think it's uh amazing what what you're you're building so um yeah thank you so much for for coming on yeah thanks very much for having me on i hope anything i said had some values to some people and helps but uh yeah it's been great to speak with you thanks awesome thanks matt 
Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.